Yeah, I could just focus on those texts. But instead, I start with Jesus. And then I go to the Genesis text, the creation text, because those are the texts that Jesus points us to as the basis for the foundation of sexual ethics. And only then do I begin talking about these other texts. We love those in the LGBTQ community. It is confusing then to hear people claim that we don't. But what does this look like? Bobby continues his dialogue with Dr. Robert Gagnon. He is considered the foremost scholar on the traditionalist position. He's credentialed from Ivy League systems at Dartmouth, Harvard, and Princeton, and currently serves as a professor at Houston Baptist Seminary. I will hand you over to the scholars. So you'll have people say, well, Jesus is love. Jesus is love. And so I guess my question as we uh, continue this conversation is what do we do with that? Like those who will say Jesus doesn't care about sexuality. He never even mentioned homosexuality. <laughs> I, just, I laugh. I mean, I try yeah. not to laugh in the context of an actual debate or dialogue with somebody publicly, but inwardly, it's, it's just amazing to think about an aspect of the human condition that takes so much of our time, so much of our energy, so much of the investment of ourselves is going to be something that God doesn't care about. That's absolutely mm -hmm. extraordinary. And it's simply not reflective of the biblical text which shows in so many texts, God's absolute concern and care for how we run our lives sexually. Remember the discussion in, in 1 Corinthians 5 to 7, where Paul, well, 5 to 6, he's dealing with the incestuous man, the man who's sleeping with his stepmother, and then later on dealing with other issues around marriage in, in chapter 7, including the question of divorce and remarriage. And in that context, in 1 Corinthians 6, Paul says, don't you know that your bodies are a temple of the Holy Spirit that is in you and that you do not belong to yourself, that you're not your own, that you've been bought with a price by the atoning death of Jesus Christ, and therefore you need to glorify God in your bodies? And this all in the context of Paul talking about sex, you have to glorify God in your bodies. You're a temple of the yeah. spirits in you. You can't take that body and join it to another person in an immoral sexual union. You are one spirit with Jesus. And you're going to take that union with Christ. And you're now going to join yourself in an immoral one flesh union with another person and in a perverse way, bring Jesus into this, defiling the temple that he inhabits and think that you can get away with it. That is truly extraordinary. That's why Paul has viceless at the end of chapter five and discussing the incestuous man, or again in six, nine to 10, where he says, stop deceiving yourselves. If you think that you can engage in serial, unrepentant, immoral behavior, including what was the main issue when he's making mention of this vice or offender list, sexually immoral behavior, you are deceiving yourself. You are not going to get away with it. 
Such persons are not going to inherit the kingdom of God. And as you were talking to, it came to me, you know, the, another aspect of this, this whole question is this failure to really have faith in who God is and how yeah. God can use difficult circumstances in life to shape Christ in us. All of us go through despairing conditions in life in which we struggle with innate desires to do what God expressly forbids us to do, or we experience difficult external realities in our life, the loss of loved ones, loss of relationships, the uh, poverty, so many other things in life. Paul case, persecution, right? Look at Paul's daily life, you know, beaten by rods by secular authorities, scourged, whipped, 40 lashes minus one in synagogues, in constant anxiety for his churches, poorly sheltered, poorly clothed, poorly fed, beaten up by robbers en route to share the gospel. Thank you for that, Jesus. What was the point in that? So on and so stoned, and we're not talking about drugs here. This is Paul's daily life that he lived, right? If anybody had a right to complain, that would be Paul Mm. or Jesus on the cross. And yet, Paul is getting up every day, proclaiming an undiluted gospel. In spite of that, we have this example of Paul appealing to God about the thorn in the flesh that he's experienced, whatever that is, in 2 Corinthians 12. And and what is God's answer? No, I am not going to remove the thorn in the flesh that makes your life difficult. Why? Because my grace is enough for you. It's sufficient. Where God is telling Paul, I don't have to remove the difficulty in your life for you to have a meaningful, secure, satisfying, rejoicing life because knowing me is more than enough. My grace is sufficient for you. My power will be manifested in the midst of your weakness, in the midst of your deprivation, in the midst of your difficulty, whether these are unfulfilled innate desires, whether these are external circumstances that are buffeting you, my power is going to operate in the midst of that weakness. Paul is using that to say, I learned something of great importance in my life at that moment. I learned that the power of God operates in my weakness. I learned that Jesus is formed in a more rapid way in my life when I don't get what I want, but when I continue to experience these difficulties. When I am weak, then I am strong because I'm forced to rely on the one who raises from the dead. I'm forced to put my trust no longer in myself, but on the one who gave all for me his very life that I might live. That's the message of the gospel. That's why the front and center symbol of the gospel is the cross. Mm. The moment of supreme weakness, the moment of supreme human agony and ignominy where Jesus is suffered, has to suffer and is shamed on the cross when he didn't even have to, but he did it for us. And yet that is the moment 
of the greatest display of divine power for salvation and of divine love for those who are lost. Hmm. Why would it be any different because we have same-sex urges? Right. When we try to rescue people from same-sex urges by allowing them to engage in behavior, gratifying these desires, which God says are counter to the way in which I have made you, in which I have imprinted you with my image, which relates to my creation of you, See Genesis 1.27, male and female, he made them. In the image and likeness of God, he made them. So that what mm. you do sexually can either efface or enhance that image bearing. You can't, by, by you allowing people to engage in behavior consistent with desires that de degrade or dishonor the way that God has made them, you that person who does so has short-circuited the work, the gracious work of God mm. in that person's life, which is mm. there to demonstrate that when you are weak, you will be strong because the power of God will be manifested in you to live the life that I have called you to live. It might look like relief is being allowed to do the thing you want to do, but in the end, it's the path that leads to destruction rather than the path that leads to the life. It's the path that leads to me rather than having Christ shaped in me. It is the path of death. And so for that reason, we cannot be loving in granting all sorts of concessions and accommodations to persons who are on the path leading to destruction. The only loving path can be a consistent approach, which is a no to desires that are self-degrading and self-dishonoring, and a yes to Christ living within one. Understanding the difficulty, acknowledging our own sin, acknowledging our own weakness, acknowledging our need to have people come alongside us and encourage us, in our moments of difficulty, not majoring in minors, but majoring in majors. This is what Jesus showed us with respect to how to deal with others. But remember, it's Jesus who defined for us what the core of discipleship is, which we find in the middle of Mark 8, when the disciples are failing because they're thinking, we thought everything was going to be wonderful now that we became followers of Jesus. No suffering. No difficulty, no persecution, and in fact, mm. we're finding the exact opposite. And what does Jesus have to do? He has to deliver a second round of teaching to them about what the true mm. nature is of discipleship. Discipleship is all about learning from Jesus. That's what disciple means. It means learner, taste from Montano, to learn. A disciple is a learner, a pupil, a student of Jesus. And what Jesus then issues in teaching them is, this is what you have to do to be my disciple. You have to take up your cross, lose your life, deny yourself, and come follow me. Does that yeah, that's sound laying like out the gospel? That's the gospel. Yeah, that's Does that, that sound like Jesus is making life easier for us? No, it doesn't. I mean, it, it's it's hard, and that's where.
again, I, I, what is challenging is the messaging that's going out there. So, you know, Satan is crafty and I see a lot of people falling into uh, where we are as a culture uh, because of what I refer to as being love shamed. And so, hey, you don't love me unless you agree with me. You don't love me unless you agree with me. And so, well, obviously we don't want to make people feel unloved. And so what we're told is, no, you're harming me if you don't just accept where I'm at and you don't validate where I'm at. And then so a lot of people are starting to do this. And now it turns out like the, the moral trajectory in our culture, the way I look at it, Rob, it, there used to be a time where the culture shared the values of the church, but then the trajectory went from rejection to acceptance to basically, uh, you know, self, or it went from rejection to tolerance to accepting to celebrating, and now you're rejected. So maybe in the culture there was this time where, hey, you know, we all could understand that this is a wrong behavior. But then we started to tolerate it, uh, and, and then we started to accept it, and then we started to celebrate it. And now if you don't join the party, you're going to be rejected. And I feel like one of the things that's so challenging in this time is we're living in a day where I think that we're, we can't even have a proper conversation because of so many ad hominem attacks that are presented. We won't talk about really the issues. And, and, and then what we do is we criticize each other's psychological states. And instead of, you know, I think that I could do the same thing. Like, hey, I can't imagine what that would be feeling like to you. And I, I'm sorry you struggle in this way. And I want to help you through this. And, but I don't want you to think that, you know, if I can't agree with you on this, it doesn't mean I don't love you. I don't agree with myself on a lot of things. And I, and I have my own struggles. But this demand that we can't be friends or we can't talk, we have to hate each other. And so we're creating all of this charged emotion in our culture. And it's overwhelming. And I don't know where we're headed from here when I think about it. Do you have any thoughts around that? Well, that, that, the mantra of those who are pushing this revisionist view about, about homosexual relations and transgenderism has always been one of, if you don't agree with us, you're haters. Yeah. And the point of making that kind of charge is to prevent any reasoned discussion mm. about this issue. Because they know if you do have reasoned discussion, they're going to have a very difficult time defending what they're promoting. And so it's, it's, it's not an accidental move on their part. It's a quite intentional move to short circuit rational discourse on this debate, on this issue. And because, uh, yeah, listen, for all the reasons we just talked about, if they're going to say it's hatred, then ultimately they're going to have to say that the one who regarded a male-female requirement for sexual ethics, a male-female foundation, as central to every all other forms of sexual standards, they're going to have to regard Jesus himself as hateful. Mm. That's a pretty hard argument to make, that yeah. Jesus was hateful, because almost our entire conception about love in its ideal form in the Western world comes from Jesus. Mm. And now you're going to say he was hateful? Well, that's absurd. And and And... We really don't adopt that position with regard to other matters. 
we continue to, hopefully, people continue to hold some standards. Uh, in fact, uh, people promoting the LGBTQ agenda um, hate us. I mean, mm -hmm. the irony is they say they're hateful, but really it's a question of projection. They yeah, hate us. experienced some stuff, haven't you? I remember you sharing a story about how somebody in the community said that they were going to homosexual rape you uh, yeah, for I've your actually, views. I've had people leave messages on my phone to that effect. Uh, wow. You know, I, I found that uh, academic institutions are, which were supposed to be tolerant and diverse and pluralistic. And then when I start writing on the issue from an orthodox biblical perspective, I wonder what happened to the tolerance and diversity and pluralism. <laughs> Apparently it didn't include somebody like me. You know, and again, here's an issue. Well, it's amazing. You know, I, I wasn't the one who was threatening anybody else's job. But my job suddenly became threatened over the course of that issue. I've had to pay a price in terms of my professional life over this issue uh, and also in many friendships. So obviously, if, if you know, if I was trying to make life easier for myself, I really made a big mistake. You know, it's like the Casablanca <laughs> line where the, the uh, Nazi officer is asking Rick, who's played by Humphrey Bogart, you're an American. What are you doing here in Casablanca? Well, he says, well, I had health issues and I came here for the water. The German officer says, water? What water? And then Humphrey Bogart, the Rick character, says, I guess I was misinformed. You know, he was misinformed. I must have been misinformed. You know, I thought everything was going to go well for me if I published yeah. on this issue. The particular oh, perspective I had didn't happen that way. So really, the hatred is coming from one particular end. Yeah, uh, it's not everybody's hate. not that way. Yeah, yeah, I know they try to make it otherwise. But really, if I do think, if I do believe what Scripture says, that engaging in same-sex intercourse can, uh, in a serial, unrepentant way, can lead to exclusion from the kingdom of God, and I feel the same way about other matters like fornication, like adultery, like incest like polyamory, like sex with prostitutes and all other kinds of sexual offenses, not to mention non-sexual offenses as well. If you continue to hold any standard at all, what they're essentially saying is you're hateful yeah. to the persons you hold that standard against. But by that logic, then their rejection of our standards, which is a standard derived from Scripture, derived from God, by their standard, they they themselves are being hateful towards us. But they never apply that logic because consistency is not a virtue to them on this matter. They make all sorts of specious arguments and claims and personal ad hominem attacks. And they do so not based on consistency of logic, but special pleading to arrive at a particular ideological objective. In short, they will say virtually say and do virtually anything in order to make their case. Consistency and logic and rational discourse and love be damned. Tim here, glad you are checking out this conversation. It is only through your support that we are able to bring you shows like this one. One simple and free way to support the show is to like our video on our YouTube channel. While you are there, consider subscribing. Also, check out other resources at ChristianityStillMakesSense.com. Let's get back to the interview. Yeah, you know, I mean, the rules of scholarship it is to talk about the content and not use ad hominem attacks. 
where you're attacking somebody or impugning their character. And when you look at the Twitter feeds and Instagram and you just scroll down and look at that, and I hardly ever even look at what's happening. Uh, I could imagine what's already starting to populate as we talk. Uh, but what it shows me, whenever I see that the, the hatred and the mean-spirited, what's funny, a lot of times packaged, and they're telling me that I'm hating them while I'm trying to say, I think that we could go out and have coffee. I think we could sit down and have love. I do not want to harm you. But I feel like I'm between a rock and a hard place. On the one hand, there's my Lord and Savior in heaven, and I'm trying to be faithful to what I see in the scriptures. And on the other hand, there's this community of people that the Lord wants me to love, the LGBTQ community. But instead of having the freedom to love them and meet them where they are, I'm told to redefine my view of love to fit what they want. And I find myself thinking if their identity is not is so insecure that it requires my validation to feel good about themselves, then how secure is that identity? And I think that what allows you to navigate the torrents that you're in is having a secure gospel identity goes a long way. Penn Jillette, the satirist and humorist, he went so far as to say that he doesn't respect any Christian that doesn't try to share the gospel with him in truth, because if my soul hangs in the balance in the future, if you really believe it, you should tell me. And so instead, you get this reputation from some. There are plenty of very peaceful LGBT people who would speak against this. And so I'm thankful for that. It's not everybody, but sometimes we know we got to listen to the extremes and then we have to sit around and react to it and try to clean up the mess. But in the middle here, I believe that people could just listen to your heart. If, and my, 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 my suggestion to the audience is if you're out there and you're listening and this isn't sitting well, okay, we'll just realize that here is somebody who has studied this they believe Je he believes Jesus and he's just trying to take Jesus as work. And what he is saying is it applies to him as well in other areas. And he wants you to go to heaven so much that he's not going to allow you to be deceived by the popular message that's going out to culture today. And instead you get hated for that at times. And I just, that, that breaks my heart. And I think that I want to call the LGBTQ community up to say, let's be bigger than that. Uh, you, you can have your views. I can, I can live in a culture where you exist. You can be married. I can have coffee with you, but it doesn't mean I'm going to agree with you. But guess what? I don't need you to agree with me. You don't have to agree with me to feel good about my identity. So we can take these passages then, Rob, We've got six in the Bible and we can say, look, none of them are talking about same sex marriage. And so there are even people that are, uh, you know, on the other side and they'll concede that. So now we're in this place of going, OK, well, if if you can take somebody in the LGBTQ community and somebody like yourself and agree that those passages are irrelevant to the discussion of same sex marriage. Well, now let's build a case. What kind of case can somebody even begin to build? My fear is I'm going to stand before God someday and I don't want to stand before him thinking I'm reading into something versus just taking him at his word. What are we, where do we go from here and what do we handle? How do we handle this particular situation of same sex marriage in our culture? First to, to affirm again is that if, if a person wants us to be loving in this and if by that they assume 
that loving means affirmation of the behavior in question, then they're going to have to change our view about what scripture says. Um, otherwise, for us, if, we, if it is true, as scripture certainly seems to indicate, that homosexual practice is, a self, is intrinsically a self-dishonoring, self-degrading behavior that mars the image of God stamped in one's being and can lead to exclusion eternally from the kingdom of God. Thank you for checking out this episode of Christianity Still Makes Sense. This show is just one of the many resources available to those who are doubting their Christian faith. You can also find others at ChristianityStillMakesSense.com. This is a listener-supported show, and your gift of any amount helps shows like this continue. Click on the donate link on our website. Also, catch Bobby on Pastor's Perspective, where he answers your questions. Finally, if you're watching on YouTube, be sure to click subscribe and check out our other videos on the channel. This show was sponsored by K-Wave and Calvary Chapel Costa Mesa.